Do human beings have a soul? Neuroscientists these days are claiming that we do not. I and my friend joining me, Jay Warner Wallace, say we do, along with Christians. I want to find out what you think, and I want to discover how to learn more about this. That's what's happening today as we discuss or investigate the soul. I need to paint a little picture for you of where I'm at right now. I am sitting in the living room of an estate that used to be a plantation. This plantation was once one of the largest tobacco producing farms in America. I no doubt am in a room that uh, housed people that accepted the idea of segregation, and some would have taken it this far. They would say, the black people that worked here on this land as slaves didn't have a soul. Neuroscientists today are trying to claim we do not have a soul. It's just body and mind. I want us to investigate that because this question is crucial to Christianity. Uh, my guest, you're going to love him today. Uh, Jay Warner Wallace is an accomplished uh, cold case homicide detective, uh, was an atheist turned apologist, which to me is mind-blowing as he talks about his testimony. You'll have to go online on YouTube and hear his testimony. Uh, he's uh, author of several books, Forensic Faith, Cold Case uh, Christianity, God's Crime Scene, uh, and has also done those books for kids. So he's an accomplished writer, uh, and we're just blessed to have him today. Jay, thanks so much for joining me. Glad to be with you. Great, great question. Too. An important question. Are we soulish creatures? I think it's an important question. I think actually Christianity stands on certain uh, claims that if not true, uh, these foundational claims would cripple uh, Christianity, would cripple our sense of what is true or not true about Christianity. For example, if we aren't soulish creatures, if we are entirely material beings, then our hope to be transcendent beyond the death of our material bodies is really in vain. So I think this idea of whether or not we're soulish to begin with is critical to Christianity. And it really develops the way you think and the way you behave. Your actions are different based on your behavior, on your belief. Your behavior is different based on your belief. If you really believe that you're a soulless being and that this world is all there is, that's going to affect the way you live your life. Absolutely. Uh, Jay, I've been blown away by your testimony so many times. I've, I've probably listened to it about seven or eight times, uh, different YouTube videos that I've watched. Uh, by the way, YouTube and Facebook, thank you guys for joining us. We are so glad to have you guys on here. And by the way, uh, shout out to all of our Creation members over at creationtoday.org. We have a, a little area where people can come and ask questions. So shout out to those of you that are saying hey to me on the chat right now. Tom, good to see you. Uh, Masaki, great to see you on here. And Angie and Diana, always great to have you guys as well. Um, we're, we're wanting to welcome you to ask questions as we go through this because it really is critical. Do humans have a soul? And what does this mean 
Does our, is our soul what really exists or is it just our, our brain and our body that, that really exists? It's something that I've been interested in and I heard Jay speak on this one time and I thought, I want to learn more about this. So Jay, thank you for investigating this already and being able to, to bring us some really good quality information about well, this. I, I can tell you, it was very practical for me. So let me know when you're ready to jump in. I'll share with you why this was so important to me. I guys, so yeah, I hope you share a little bit of your testimony as well. He's uh, a former atheist, now apologist, very accomplished. Uh, I think it's incredible. So please jump right in. Okay, so I'm just going to start with my evidence for the soul. Uh, I will tell you that it wasn't that long ago that I was working in cases that really tested my understanding of whether or not we had a soul. For example, this is a case, a real case that was in our uh, our our city. I've redacted out the names of the people who are involved, so you can't see them. But this was a murder suicide involving a man who killed his six year old, killed his six year old son. And when we got to the web to the uh, to the crime scene, rather, uh, I can tell you that people were disturbed by this. The, the officers who were there were disturbed by. It. As a matter of fact, the CSI, the crime scene investigator, who was there refused to work the scene because she actually had a six year old of her own, and she could not. Uh, she could not stomach the idea of of working a scene that involved a young a boy who was very much the age of her own child. I get it. Look, we all have struggles with this kind of thing. If you're working these kinds of murder scenes, you struggle with them. Look, uh, for example, my my grandfather was somebody who um, was very I was very close to. My middle name James Warner. Warner is from this guy. This is my grandfather Warner as a child, and of course. As he grew up, he married my grandmother, and ultimately they had a life together, had my own uh, dad and, and my aunt, and then eventually uh, they died in their old age. Okay, well, look, I mean, when somebody dies in their old age, you kind of feel like, okay, well, yeah, they lived a long life, right? This is what we expect, you know, get 90 years out of life, you feel good about it. But had he died as a six-year-old, I think most people would have said, it's not right. It's not, it's not, he, he was robbed of his life, he would say. Uh, so, so sad that someone dies so young, as though we are not soulish creatures that transcend our material experience, but are instead just material beings that can hope to live for 90 years. At the end of our material lives, we pass away. Now, look, the question I have here is, is that who we are? Are we just material beings or are we something more? Are we soulish creatures? Now, I think part of the evidence for this can be found when we actually look at the nature of our physical beings. And one way to look at this is simply to ask the question, okay, we, we possess a brain. We know we possess a brain. We think about thoughts. We have thoughts about our eternity, for example. Are those just the kind of chemical reactions that occur within our physical brains? Or do we also have a conscious mind? Now, this question has been plaguing philosophers and neuroscientists for years. Because a lot of people who are atheists would say, no, we just live in a physical universe that is made up of space, time, and matter. Brains can exist in such a physical environment. They're physical entities. But minds are immaterial. There is no category for immaterial minds in a purely physical universe. And that's why when you look at this issue of mind, it is typically described as the problem of mind, quote unquote. This mind-body problem, the problem of how do I, how does a physical environment such as the universe, if it's entirely atheistic universe is true, that it's just the universe made up of space, time, matter, impacted by uh, physics and chemistry, that can account for brains. But how does it account for immaterial things like mind? I actually think that the evidence 
for mind is strong evidence for our soulish nature. In other words, are we entirely physical or is there an aspect of our existence, of our true reality of who we are, immaterial as well? Do we just have brains and bodies or do we have minds and souls? This is the question we're asking tonight. And I think there is good evidence that we are more than just physical beings. And I want to share that with you tonight, both evidence for mind and evidence for soul. So let's just jump right in. I think that there is good. Now, look, we're going to start with a simple premise that comes out of law enforcement. I'll use myself as an example. If I was guilty of a crime and somebody saw me commit this crime, the question would be later on when you identify me and bring me to jail, am I the person who committed the crime? In other words, is the person you have in custody today the same person who committed the crime years before or weeks before? Are they one in the same? Well, one way to determine this is to use what we call the law of identity. This idea is basically, if I fit all of the, if my fingerprints rolled while I'm in custody, match the fingerprints at the crime scene. If my DNA taken as a swab and while I'm in custody matches the crime scene DNA, well, then it can be said that I possess all of the attributes that the suspect possessed at the actual crime scene. Therefore, I am one and the same. I possess all of the, ident- all the uh, characteristics of the suspect. Well, therefore, I'm the guy who did it. Now, this idea of identity, that I possess all of the same suspects, can be used when examining the issue of are we simply brains or do we have minds? Are these the same thing? Are are we using language here? I mean, there's a lot of atheists who would say, well, no, you you don't have a mind. You just have a brain. But if I can show you that the mind is different characteristically than the brain, well, then you're stuck with the idea of how I've got to account for both of these. Now, look, if, if the mind is exactly the same as the brain, if every attribute of the mind is shared by the brain and vice versa, well, then you can easily say, and I think rightfully say, that you're just brain. You have a brain, but you don't have a mind because they happen to share the same characteristics. But as it turns out, your mind is different characteristically. It's different by its nature than your brain. And if two things are different by nature, they cannot be said to share the same identity. They're not the same. They are two different things. And therefore, we would have good reason to believe that we are more than just a brain. We are more than just a body. If we possess this immaterial reality called mind, why would we then uh, hesitate to, 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 to believe that we also possess uh, an immaterial reality? We are soulish creatures. Okay, let me show you some ways that the mind is different than the brain to demonstrate to you that why uh, uh, philosophical naturalism that atheisms might use to examine science, for example, is insufficient because it does not describe the nature of immaterial things that you and I believe as Christians are true. So let me show you some ways that the brains are different than minds. First of all, we could say this about minds and brains. Uh, Brains are in some way measurable. I could put them on a scale. I could weigh your brain. I could measure the distance of you, the length of your brain, the width of your brain, the mass of your brain. Brains are measurable. In the most uh, kind of uh, rudimentary sense, we all recognize that minds are measure less. They, they cannot be measured in the same way. There's no weight to your mind, 
right? Your brain has weight, has mass, has width, has depth, but it does not, your mind does not have those attributes. There's a difference here. Already out of the gate, most of us have an intuitive sense that our brains are different than our minds. I've given you one way they're different. Let me give you another way they're different. Um, you all know this guy. Now, but before he ran for, I was talking about Ben Carson before he ever ran for president. I'm not a political person, so please forgive me if you're somebody who doesn't agree with Ben Carson's politics. I don't really care about that. I just know that Ben Carson is a neuroscientist. Now, if I was to ask Ben to think about his upbringing, the way he was raised, his relationship with his mother, the way he had to, I could ask him to kind of retrace in his mind his his thoughts about the nature of his upbringing, his own personal history, how he was married, his childhood, all of that. Well, it turns out he would have certain thoughts. But if I was to like, you know, take the top of his head off and look at his brain, I could not recover these thoughts. I cannot recover his thoughts from his physical brain, even though I can publicly access his brain. Well, it turns out your physical brain is publicly accessible. But your thoughts are held privately. Even when you say, well, look, I know that there are certain aspects. I, when you think, I can see certain neurons are firing in your brain. Well, fine. But I'd have to ask Ben, what is happening when I see those neurons firing? Report to me the content of your thoughts. I cannot gain the content of Ben's thoughts from simply looking at his publicly accessible brain. Those thoughts are still entirely privately held. Uh, yet another difference between the physical brain and the non-physical mind. Physical brains are publicly accessible. Your thoughts, your mind is not. It's privately uh, accessed. Let me give you a third way that brains are different than minds. Let's imagine that we're out on vacation and we're together and I'm staying at this vacation home that we've rented. This is all great. And I'm upstairs in the bedroom and, I'm, I'm, and, I, and I, I, I think I hear um, a noise outside, right? A noise of an intruder who's about to enter our cabin, right? So I'm up here sleeping and I have a thought. I, I think I, 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 I'm thinking about the intruder who I think I hear downstairs trying to get into our cabin. Okay, great. Now, now think about this for a second. Your thoughts, okay, are about the intruder. In other words, your thoughts depend upon the existence of the material intruder. Your immaterial thoughts are dependent upon something. Do you see that? In other words, your immaterial thoughts are about, are always about something else. Yet the something else they're about is not about something else. That, that intruder is not about. He just is, okay? Your thoughts are about, your immaterial thoughts are about, your, the material thing they're about is an is. In other words, this is something that's called philosophically the uh, idea of intentionality. And this is yet another way, a third way, that the material brain is different than the immaterial mind. Your immaterial mind is always about it's thinking about something, but material things are, your brain is not about something, it just is. I call this the difference between isness and aboutness, just to, be, to make it, you know, kind of twist the idea of the language here, but it's really this concept the philosophers call intentionality. It's a third way that the physical brain is different than the non-physical mind. Let me give you a fourth way. So let's just stay in the same scenario. Okay, I'm thinking about this intruder. And I've got thoughts that this intruder exists outside. Now, I could be mistaken. Maybe the, the intruder doesn't exist. 
I just think there's an intruder outside when in fact there isn't one. Well, the actual physical intruder, whether he exists or not, that is open to dispute. He may not exist. I may just think he exists. But my thoughts about the intruder are not open to dispute. I'm having these thoughts. You cannot say, well, you're not having those thoughts, Jim. No, I am. Now, it may not be true. The physical reality, the physical entity, that is open to dispute. But the claim in my mental state is not open to dispute. Yet another way in which um, your the, the physical entities are different than mental states. This is another way. One is disputable. The other is indisputable. I'm giving you a fourth way that uh, physical brains are different than immaterial minds, okay? So I, I, my whole point is that if I'm a physicalist, if I'm somebody who's an atheist, I, I deny the existence of immaterial things like minds and souls and angels and demons. All these immaterial things don't exist for me if I'm an atheist. And as an atheist, I didn't become a Christian until I was 35. They did not exist for me. These were just fictions that people created. But it turns out the immaterial brain, now I've shown you four ways that the mind is different than the, than the material brain. The immaterial mind, rather, is different than the material brain. I'd have to at least concede there is such a thing as a mind. And that's very hard, which is why this is called the problem of mind. It's called the problem of mind because I cannot account for it under a materialistic, atheistic worldview. Let me give you a fifth way. I was part of a SWAT team for years. I'm the guy on the end there on the very end of this image. That was me. Now, I can do some training with SWAT teams and, and describe for them what they will experience in a shooting. For example, I can describe for them the mechanics of their weapons. I can describe for them when you shoot somebody in a certain position, you know, the physiology of humans is such that it reacts a certain way. I can describe for them the tactics you might use when you actually go into a room to make an assault. You know, when you've got somebody, you're in the room trying to get barricaded a suspect, that kind of a thing. And I've had to actually do those kinds of, of entries, but that's fine. But it turns out that in the end, um, I could train you in all the objective um, kind of impersonal material facts that are involved in shootings, the nature of the material gun, the nature of the material body, how these things interact when one shoots the other. I get all that, right? But in the end, after I involved in the shooting, I'm going to experience an entirely different set of facts that are based on my personal thoughts that are subjective, that my beliefs that I enter into when I'm involved in a shooting, my feelings afterwards. In other words, physical uh, uh, aspects, like the physical nature of the shooting, that's all impersonal, but my reaction is personal. And those are the things that divide what's physical from what's non-physical. There may be some physical realities of what's happening in your brain, the sequence of neurons that fire, all of that, but you have subjective personal feelings and intuitions and experiences that are very different. Now, here's my whole point. I've just shown you now a series of uh, five differences between physical brains and a non-physical minds. These are not the same. To, to suggest in one way or another that somehow we are just physical creatures that just have brains and bodies, well, is to deny the difference between your brain and your mind. And there is a difference. And therefore, we've got to figure out, okay, these two things are not the same. And if they're not the same, you've just opened up a world that you have been denying if you're a strict physicalist. Now, let me say one last thing before we move on to questions. We've got some time here for questions, but 
I want to talk about. I've just given you differences between um, minds and brains, but there's a differences also that deal strictly with body and soul. And I want to cover a few of those with you as well. Let me give you a thought experiment as we turn this corner. Uh, imagine that you now are, uh, you got a Carmen Ghia. You own a Carmen Ghia. That's a, a car that I often use in my talks. Uh, this is what they used to look like back in the day when they used to make these. And I've got this classic Carmen Ghia and it's red and it's parked, you know, uh, on my driveway. And, and my neighbor's got a Carmen Ghia, but his Carmen Ghia does not run. It's rusted. It's crummy. Mine's like, you know, it's in good shape. It runs. It's like a classic mint condition. His is not so good. Okay. Well, imagine that tomorrow morning I get up and and I discover that um, that across the street, my blue neighbor's blue Carmen Ghia has been sitting there for years, just sitting outside. Mine has been under a cover. And so I raise the cover one day and I discover that, you know what? My Carmen Ghia has not got, now got a blue quarter panel. And I look across the street and I realize, you know what? His now has got a red quarter panel. What is going on here? And every day I get up and I discover that there's a different Suddenly, it's like my Carmen Ghia, the quarter panel has been changed, then the trunk and the hood, and eventually, over time, I end up with a blue, rusted out piece of junk Carmen Ghia on my side of the street, and he's got a brand new, um, beautiful, mint can, uh, it looks just like my old Carmen Ghia. No, no, wait a minute, hold on. So is my Carmen Ghia still in my driveway, still in my, my side of the, of the street? Or is this now his Carmen Ghia? In other words, if I'm looking at these two Carmen Ghias, it seems like he's replaced out part by part, piece by piece, until finally my Carmen Ghia is no longer my Carmen Ghia. It's the old piece of junk blue one that was across the street. Now, what's interesting is, is that these two Carmen Ghias, like which one's who, whose is whose? Well, I think you both, and I will say, hey, no, Jim, you've been snookered, okay? What he's basically done is he now has your Carmen Ghia on his side of the street, and his old piece of junk Carmen Ghia is now under your cover because he has taken each part and, and, and switched it. In other words, the identity of whose Carmen Ghia is, who, is, is whose is entirely part-dependent. It's part-dependent. Is that who we are? Are we part dependent? Because if because this is a physical uh, car, entirely fit, it has no soul. So therefore, physical things are part dependent. If you move all the parts over to my side and exchange them out for your car, well, suddenly I don't have my car anymore because my car was entirely part dependent. Your car is entirely part dependent. You just switch the parts. Let me give you an example of this. So for example, my son, when he first learned how to drive, he, I gave him my old car. Now I bought that car when he was a baby. Okay. He was two years old when I bought that rodeo. That's awesome. And by the time he was 16 and getting ready to drive, I still owned that rodeo and I gave it to him. So there he is years later. Now, it turns out that in those number of years, between the age of two and the age of 16, pretty much every cell in his body had been regenerated. He was no longer the same set of parts. But is he still Jimmy? Is he still the same person? In other words, is his identity, like the Carmen Ghia, entirely part dependent? Or is it instead something else about him that identifies Jimmy as Jimmy? I think you have to argue, you have to at least say here that we are not part dependent. And if we aren't part dependent, we are not entirely physical.
who we are is not entirely physical. For example, if I said, hey, if I'm somebody who lost three times my body weight, am I now one third of who I was? No, you're still the same person because you're not part dependent. Even if you lost a significant part of your body, a leg, an arm, whatever, you would still be you because you're not part dependent. So here's the argument. Physical entities are dependent on their parts. That's just the nature of what they are. Now, we are not dependent on our parts. Therefore, we are not purely physical entities. We must be something more than physical entities because we're not part dependent. So here we've now looked at the difference between you know, physical entities and non-physical entities. And we know that physical entities are part dependent and non-physical entities are part independent. And sure enough, we are part independent. It looks like we are more and more uh, easily described as a non-physical entity. Now, let me show you another way. Uh, here's my family, right? We used to go to Knott's Berry Farm every Christmas. Here they are growing up. My kids are all uh, now older. You know, the kid on the, on, the, on the right is a police officer. He's been a police officer for 10 years. The kid on the left is an anesthesiologist. Okay, so they've all grown up. And my daughters are now 24 and 25. So if you look at this family here, I think we would use certain scriptures. If I was going to describe my family, I would say, okay, this dude right here, this dude is my son. Okay, and I use that expression, that personal possessive pronoun. He's my son. It turns out that we use these kinds of possessive pronouns when we are describing something other than us. This is my daughter. Okay, she's not me. She's my daughter. This is my hat. This is my, those are my glasses. These are not me. These are my glasses, right? This is my shirt, for example. And then we get to this, and I would say this is my body. Well, well, well hang on a minute. So, so I'm using a possessive pronoun, a personal possessive pronoun to describe something that's me, but no, it's just in my body. And we do this because we intuitively sense, we intuitively know that our physical bodies are something other than us. The same way my son is something other than me. My shirt is something other than me. My hat is something other than me. We use these kinds of possessive pronouns. Now, again, the argument would look something like this. I use first person possessive pronouns to indicate possession of something other than me. And sure enough, we, we use those to describe my body. Therefore, my body is something other than me. Let me give you the, another way. So yeah, the late Christopher Hitchens, Jay, said, uh, I am not uh, a, an individual with a body. I am a body. And really, as an atheist said, no, I'm going to reject all this idea that you're saying. But yet you're given case after case after case where he would be living inconsistently with the very claim that he makes. That's absolutely right. And so again, is this evidence? Again, I make cumulative cases in front of juries. And so what's powerful about a case like this is not that it's based on any one of these paper cuts. It's the you know death by a thousand paper cuts that typically makes a case valid in front of a jury. And here we have now two, uh, I've already discussed the you know four or five, five ways the brain is different than the body. But here I'm describing uh, another way, yet a second way that your body is different than your soulish nature. Let me give you another one here. Um, and I know we have to break here at some point soon. Here, I'll give you one more, then we'll break from YouTube. Um, so if you look at this, for example, if I have cookies that were taken off the tray, I've got some cookies when my kids were young. If I put them on the counter and I discovered 15 minutes later that 10 cookies are missing, and I said to my son, hey, 
what the heck happened to these cookies? Well, you said to me, well, you know, uh, it wasn't me. It was that the wind came in through the open window and knocked over the tray and the cup cookies ended up on their sides and they rolled outside where they were eaten by the dog. In other words, you could argue that this has all happened, that the missing cookies were simply the result of a set of physical processes like dominoes that fell. I don't think we would accept that. We would say, no, you as a free agent acted. Now, now, dominoes are not free agents. The, the, the only thing that happens here is called event causation. One domino falls and knocks over another domino. Is that who we are? Are we not culpable for anything we do? Your son could have easily said, hey, or my son could have said, hey, you know what? I didn't choose to do this. Neurons fired in my brain that I was not in control of. And because these neurons fire in the physical entity called a brain, uh, certain behaviors emerge. Not my fault. I can't control physical realities. I don't have free agency. As a matter of fact, free agency is elusive under a physicalistic universe in which there are only brains and no minds. So here's the problem with that argument. One, no physical system is a free agent. No physical system. Therefore, physical systems cannot be held accountable for their actions because they don't act freely. They didn't make free choices. Things just happen. On the same side, so you cannot have moral responsibility. Yet we sense that human beings do have moral responsibility. Well, therefore, they cannot be physical systems. If we are purely physical systems, we could have no moral accountability. So here we now have a third way in which physical um, beings are different than non-physical free agents that move without physical constraint. And that is this issue of causation, event causation. So now you've got to be, go ahead. I was going to say, you've got to be driving those that believe in a naturalistic worldview crazy right now. And those that would hold to, um, uh, you know, one of the Eastern religions, because Eastern religions say we're not material, we're only spiritual. And the, the naturalist here says we're not uh, spiritual, we're only physical, and you're kind of showing that it has to be both and, not either or. Yeah, you're right. We are dualistic creatures, and that's what we'll discuss when we get off YouTube together. I'll talk about that. That's really where we'll stop right here, because I think okay. in the end, we have to discuss, are we dualistic in nature? And I got so many questions for you that I want you to answer. Is, is evidence of the mind, is that the soul? Is that what that is? What, anyway, so we'll get into that as well as answer your questions here on the chat. Uh, YouTube and Facebook, thanks for hanging out. You guys have gotten a lot of great stuff. Hope you enjoy this. If you're a Christian out there, I want you to take this information, go to Jay's website, get it uh, from his website, coldcasechristianity.com. Go grab that from Jay's website. Uh, his books are listed right there. I want to encourage you to read those because this really is critical, that you understand this, that you know this truth, and that you make this truth known to the world. Hey, if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ or haven't understood the different religions. I'm telling you, it's a, I, wish, I wish Jay had time right now to go into his testimony, but it's available right there. You can go to YouTube and search it and you can look at somebody who went from an atheist who used to believe that we were just a brain and took that transition. And I'm telling you, if it's true, there's nothing more important that you should be doing tonight than checking that out for yourself. Because if it's true, eternity hangs in the balance. I want to thank you guys for joining me, Jay. We're going to continue uh, on here. And those of you that are on uh, for the Creation Today members here, 
Uh, I got so many questions about, you know, okay, is the mind evidence of the soul? What happens to the soul? How do we get the soul? I mean, I I don't know that we'll get to all these answers, but I agree. These are incredibly interesting questions. So Jay, keep going here and, and teaching on this. If you've ever wanted to have consistent growth into interesting conversations that help you understand the foundation of the Word of God and share that foundation with a lost world that desperately needs it, let me invite you to become a Creation Today member. My name is Eric Hovind. I'm the president of Creation Today. We have conversations each week with special guests on a variety of topics that are both intriguing and help us to dig down deeper into God's Word. So if you've ever wanted to truly grow in your faith, let me encourage you to spend a year with me. We'll get 52 sessions together and you'll get to be a Creation Today member that gets access not only to every live event we do and have an opportunity to have discussions with the guests, but also everything we've done in the past. It's a great way for you and your family to grow your faith.